I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. When can I go home? If you ever have to evacuate because of a natural disaster, that question will consume your thoughts. And what determines whether you'll have a home to go back to is something few of us ever think about. Building codes. And what about in a warming world? Can our homes stand against the more intense hurricane and bigger flood? This week, I spoke with Roy Wright. He's the former Deputy Associate Administrator of Mitigation for FEMA and currently the head of the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, where they put building supplies and codes to the test in their giant test lab. What if our lives didn't have to be turned upside down every time there was a disaster? Turns out there are things you can do right now to protect your home. Roy, I can't thank you enough for being on Warming Signs. Thank you for joining us for the podcast. I'm really happy to join you. I know that it's not something that many people find as as exciting as I do, but building codes really are very exciting, wouldn't you say? Well... Every one of us interact with structures and come in and out with a set of presumptions about the level of safety and our ability to walk in and walk out of them. So much of that is just dependent on those standards that are in place when they constructed that building. We take it for granted a little bit. We do. Uh, you know, I think about it that you know when we get on an airplane, we think that you know the FAA has certified this uh, for flying and the like, and we know that they go through a whole series of safety checks. Put your seatbelt on. All, all these elements. You know, like, yeah, I get it. I, I guess that's supposed to pay attention to safety. And when we get into our car, if we forget to put on our seatbelt, there are dings and all kinds of things that will flash on the screen. But then we walk into a building and. We just presume it's all there. It's just the way it's supposed to be. And we put a lot of faith in decisions that were made maybe five, ten years ago, some parts of the country, maybe 80 or 100 years ago, that allow us to be in a place uh, that is functional, meets the need for why we walked in, but is also a safe place. When I hear about building codes, and this is probably a little bit to do with my scope of experience, kind of automatically picture Florida in my head because we talk about building codes a lot there. Uh, They're obviously a hot topic following Hurricane Michael and Irma and hurricanes every year, in addition with rising sea level. I mean, we have all kinds of things going on in Florida, but it's not just Florida that has building codes. Is that right? It doesn't. So you look across, uh, most states in the country have building codes. There are 12 states that don't have a statewide code. I think Florida is held up as the best or one of the best. Uh, I think California would say that they should rival them in that conversation. But obviously, you're building for different kinds of risks. You deal with earthquake uh, elements out in California, whereas you're dealing with high wind and water in a Florida context. Uh, but a place like Florida has those in place because of their experiences. They had dabbled in codes until Hurricane Andrew came ashore in 1992. They saw that devastation. And if you're in the crosshairs of a Cat 5 hurricane, it's going to be devastating. But you look at those other bands, those wind speeds that are out there, and we can build in ways by which you can withstand 90 mile an hour winds 
100, 110, 120 mile an hour winds. And that allows you to evacuate during a disaster and then come back home. And it was that experience in Andrew where people couldn't come back home that drove Florida down that road. So uh, first of all, I love that evacuate, then come home. I love that Mm -hmm. messaging. I love that this is by no means a conversation of here's how you can ride out a hurricane. (laughs) This is a conversation of coming home. (laughs) It is absolutely. It's interesting. You talk about these evacuation things. And I I think it's crazy not to follow the evacuation orders uh, that are in place. I've had some conversations out west recently because, you know, you think about Paradise, California, that had this catastrophic fire. And uh, there were really too many lives that were lost. But what's miraculous is 40,000 people were evacuated inside of two and a half hours. That's an incredible clearance time. (laughs) And there are only two roads in and out of that town. And so you contrast that to, you know, it would take days for a community uh, in a hurricane area to do the same. But when you get that evacuation order, you have to go. Um, Don't rival with that. And particularly in a hurricane prone area, not just wind, storm surge, which kills so many people. But there's that point that when you evacuate, all too often people feel helpless. It's that moment by which you take a very set, few set of belongings and you drive away. What if there were a set of pieces that when you drove away, it was simply a temporary road trip and you left with a pretty high confidence that you're going to be able to come back? Maybe there's some roads and bridges that don't have to be repaired. Maybe there's other elements that are there. If you're going to be able to come back, it's going to be because the structures were built in a way to withstand this severe weather that we know can happen. So can you seriously, you mentioned this earlier, talking about, you know, a home that's withstanding over 100 mile an hour winds. Mm -hmm. Is that realistic? Can we build homes right now today that can withstand a Cat 3, a Cat 4, Maybe even a Cat 5 hurricane. You know, there are ways to withstand events that start really driving up to very expensive levels. There are some uh, ways to do that uh, by which you may lose everything in the house, but you've got a structure of concrete that somehow survived. Uh, That's not typical. That's That's not normal for people. But I think if you kind of look across that continuum, the wind levels at the Cat 2, Cat 3, The wind levels at the EF1, EF2, EF3, yeah, there is the ability today to construct a house. And we can walk through the pieces, but there's a piece about the roof. There's a piece about uh, the opening, the windows and uh, doors. And then there's, can you tie the whole house together? And through those three separate lanes, the techniques are known there are tested both in, in a lab as well as on the ground. Uh, and I think we're really to a point now where not only have they been identified and tested, they're now approaching a point by which they're frankly affordable. Uh, you start looking at costs of homes or different retrofit projects on the house, and it adds maybe three, four, five percent to the cost of the house, but it makes sure that you can go back. Stop thinking this is someone else's problem. 
Stop thinking this is too big for you. So you're a town of 50,000. You're a town of 25,000. You're, you know, population-wise, you're number 40 out of 50 in the states across the country. What am I supposed to do? You know, someone else with big manufacturing can do this, or, you know, someone else who has technology can do this. No, this is the place by which the science that we've been working on over the last 30 years has laid out paths by which the impact these storms have, the impact that severe weather has, need not be disrupting lives, displacing families, and driving financial loss at the scale which it's doing. And we can do something about it. So if there's something, you know, we want to act now, what is the item, the quickest thing that someone could do for their home, whether they're renting, owning, living in an apartment, whatever it may be, what is the fastest thing that someone can do to prepare themselves and arm themselves for the future of storms? Yeah, so, you know, there's a whole set of things depending on the kind of storms you experience, flash floods and storm surge and the like. There's ways when you have notice on an event versus when you don't. Oftentimes it's are your gutters cleared out so when the water comes hmm. down it has a place to go. Um, your gutters. Are your downspouts actually moving the water away from your house? Do you have lawn furniture that if the wind picks up is going to get picked up and slammed into your house? Uh, set of things in the wildfire area, particularly on the defensible space and that kind of dry organic material. Those are things you could do this weekend. Yeah. We then deal with pieces of there's an increment of investment that happens. You're a homeowner by this point, and it's time to re-roof. You know, that tends to happen every decade or two. You have a choice to make at that point. Am I going to um, put this back on in a way that changes my likelihood to withstand the events that are coming? There are times by which people are doing upgrades largely for a Uh, energy efficiency. They're trying to drive down the cost of their air conditioning or heating bills. Well, those same kinds of ways of dealing with multi-pane glass, you deal with the the impact resistant side at the same time. Small increment more, but you're helping to meet those needs. And then fundamentally, I think at the time that people are dealing with being a purchaser of a home, that's the place where we can shape the market and say, this is what I demand to have. But if there's one overriding piece that I would come back to, it says to me, make a demand on your state legislature to upgrade the code. As things are being constructed, as new renovations and expansions of homes are taking place, are we building to the best of what we know? That's the fundamental piece that could be noticed on next week's um, city council agenda and adopted next month and be in place during the holidays this year and be ready for next year's uh, building season. Yeah, building codes, not exactly the thing that people sit around their dining room table having conversations about. I do. Not the kind of thing. (laughs) Yes, uh, it's got a group of people coming over for the 4th of July uh, to uh, think about. Believe it or not, uh, that's actually probably true. Uh, so once you invite all of us to join you, uh, or, or maybe it is actually this podcast that's the way that we get to Here join you are. for uh, the 4th of July. But it's the, that's the point by which people can drive their local officials mm-hmm. and their state legislature that says, hey, we can do better and 
help do it in a way, and this is where it kind of come, falls back on the kind of work we do here at the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety is, yeah, we know the best science, we know how to approach it. We're really focused on the affordability side of it. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's ways to construct, but it's just too costly. So people aren't going to do it. So we've got to find that sweet spot, that sweet spot that then comes back and says, okay, here's how you get resilience in a way that's affordable and accessible. Are we sufficient in our building codes? Because I know that a lot of them are based on storms of record, especially in places like Florida. Are we do are we sufficient? Are are our building codes strong enough? It's, it's such an important question, Kate, and it's a little hard to just give you a simple answer because the building codes are different from state to state across the country. So it's hard to, to, to generalize in that space. But let's talk about a few illustrations. Is the code sufficient today in Florida? And I would tell you from a wind perspective, it is the absolute best it can be from a baseline. And the Florida Building Commission is this summer considering a set of things that need to be improved. Things that they know, and at this point, it's not really driven by whether or not we've experienced the event, but whether or not there's actually been an innovation or an advancement of ways to protect against something that needs to be incorporated. That deals with the wind side particularly. I think in a Florida context, I'll give them so much credit on the wind, and I won't give them nearly as much credit on the flood and the storm surge side of the equation. There isn't sufficient ways to deal with the water that comes on and the impact it would have. As I go to other parts of the country, there's a set of states that have their last adopted code was from 2006. Oh, wow. Right. So the residential code is updated or improved on a three-year rolling cycle. They passed on the 2009, the 2012, the 2015, the 2018. I look at a place like that and go, what? I think all too often we talk about climate and we talk about the changes that are going on. And there's this meta narrative related to it. All true, all true, based in science. But it's so big. It's so hard hands around it. And you wonder, well, why don't people take it more seriously? Well, because you don't you haven't told them what they can do about it. And that meta narrative, the science behind the elements on climate can can feel so abstract to you. And so I think what's so important in the conversation we're having today is there are specific things you can do when constructing a house. There are specific things you can do when you're in the normal rotation to replace your roof. There are things that you can do, a few hundred dollars, maybe a couple, three thousand dollars at those particular elements that you can do that can ensure that you can withstand these events as they come your way. That's the opportunity that I think all too often we're missing. You know, what What can a local um, official do about climate? Well, if you're in a big city, you can be in Miami or New York or San Francisco. You can have a big climate plan, and you should. But if you're in an average community in America, you look at this conversation and go, what am I supposed to do? I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to make sure that you have the best building code in place in your community. 
and you're providing the way for neighbors to help neighbors and to lean in so that as those who can't afford things as much deal with these other projects to keep their homes habitable, that these elements related to how to fortify your home are brought in. That's what a local community can do. And you can do it today. You don't need to wait for any more studies. You don't need to pay engineers to go out and evaluate things. You don't need to wait for them to send in some you know, computation in the sky <laughs> about what exactly to do. These things are available to folks today. What is really front and center for me is do we need to take what was learned and applied in one area and apply it to more areas? Mm. So Miami-Dade County in Florida, is at the top of the uh, stack. But the standards in Miami-Dade were not applied in the panhandle of Florida. This is exactly now, what I was had, going to ask you about. Yeah. They'd never experienced a Cat 5 on the panhandle. And if you ask right. some people who live there, and if you asked them a question back in 2016 or 17, they would say, that cannot happen here until it happened. And now that yeah. it has happened, we go, what about this? And so I started looking at those higher standards that were put in place in Miami dating and would say, given what we're seeing in terms of changes, where else should we be applying that? Now, before we just pay attention to hurricane, we're seeing tornadoes play out repeated tornadoes coming into communities some of that right. in the classic tornado alley and some of it in a bit more expanded part of that what it takes to be able to withstand 130 to 150 mile an hour winds in a hurricane is just the same as it is in a tornado and so some of those standards that classically have only been used in florida yes they belong in the carolinas and georgia and they belong in alabama and around to texas and they belong in Oklahoma and the panhandle of, of Texas and in Missouri and in Illinois because we see those pieces play. And, yeah, we need to keep pushing. we got to learn some more piece elements. But what you need to do some, in this vast United States, someone has experienced this. The science has met that. And so I think part of the jigsaw puzzle now is better figuring out where to take elements of the building code that are needed and required in one part of the country. And now, given what we see in the hazards and the way the risk plays out, need to be applied in another part of the country. I'll pause for just a moment here to introduce you to Dr. LeBron Lackey. He owns a home in Mexico Beach, Florida, right where the Category 5 Hurricane Michael made landfall. And when I say owns, I mean it. It's not past tense. His beachfront home was left in near perfect condition while every home around it was turned into splinters. But this wasn't a miracle. It was choices made while building. You can build a home that stays, but you don't ever want to say goodbye to the town. I never wanted to be the last home standing in Mexico Beach. We had a camera and I was able to watch as the eye wall approached and as the eye wall was upon us, there is nothing like seeing it up, up close and personal. There's nothing like uh, passing I-10 and immediately hitting what looked like a war zone. That'll affect you, that'll change you, that'll change how you feel about things. It, it'll make you want to go home and hug your family. 
we, we built a beefed up house, make no mistake about it. We, every speck of that house, every, from, the, from, the, from below the sand to the top of the roof, we uh, studied from the concept of making it hurricane proof. Our walls were specified to, to 250 miles per hour based on the amount of concrete and rebar. And um, the roof, you know, really wouldn't have a rating that I would think you could put to it the design of the shape of the roof to avoid an airplane wing effect, to um, sealing the soffit and, and um, not ventilating the soffit so that air can't get under the edge. The windows were um, rated for a four pound projectile to impact at 140 miles per hour. Uh, and that did happen. Um, in two of our windows, we took debris impacts, uh, uh, actually three of them, took debris impacts, the outer layers shattered, but the inner layers held, and since the inner layers held, no wind came into the house. We may have gone above and beyond what would have been expected of conventional construction and conventional code requirements, but it didn't go above and beyond our comfort level. The changes that we made would put us in the range of 15 to 20 percent more than conventional construction. The pilings were, you know, specified as 30, 30 foot long pilings. Um, and we just inquired, how much are 40 foot long pilings? And it actually wasn't that much more. And as a result, we have 40 foot pilings that took the surge and then some. I'm proud that our home stayed. I'm proud for so many coastal communities um, uh, that can hopefully look to the successes of what our architecture uh, found. Um, and um, replicate those successes. Now let's get back to my chat with Roy. Not everyone agrees that building codes should be strong and pricing is one of those hot topics. Something else we saw in Hurricane Michael, and that was upgraded to a category five hurricane. Right, <laughs> crazy. Were not necessarily, yes, there were some pricier homes that fared better and built to a higher standard of building code, but there were also Habitat for Humanity homes that were fortified homes yeah. that withstood yeah. that. Now, what what does that mean? I mean, those are I've I've built many a Habitat homes, and I can you know I see the construction of it. It's done by you know these hands, <laughs> so yeah. it's not necessarily a bunch of specialists. But the design was created to withstand. Right. You know, quite a lot. What what is so, that? So think about this, because uh, the fortified th those those were called Habitat Strong Homes. It's a particular mm. program inside the Habitat for Humanity program, and they use the very kind of science behind what we drive with our fortified gold. And it's a twelve hundred square foot house. It's a single story. This, this, this is not some kind of palatial um, home. This is a normal home for an average um, person who lives in that state. And so there were six of them that um, had winds that well in excess of 100 miles an hour that they experienced. And we had our team back out on the ground the week after the event doing inspections of these. And you could see the homes next door in shambles. You could see the roofs popped off. You could see the, really? um, the elements, particularly for a home that was constructed 10 years or more ago, vast devastation. So five out of the six Habitat Strong homes had zero damage. Seriously? There was one. 
But let's understand what that damage was. They had one board of siding that came off. And what, I mean, that seems almost, that's after you see the images post-Hurricane Michael, it's almost impossible to imagine that. One piece of siding gone? One, one piece of siding. And so this goes back to that point when you evacuate, you want to leave knowing you have a really high likelihood of coming back home. Once the power was restored into that community, they came back home. They were helping their neighbors with debris. Now, you have to be careful with these kinds of pieces because you can perfectly construct your home and the debris of one of your neighbor's homes can come flying your way. A four by four comes at you, you know, some kind of lawn furniture comes your way. And so you need to make sure you deal with how that whole house is held together and uh, how you can deal with putting the shutters and the like in place. But we looked at those elements because I want folks to know that resilience is affordable. So what about the home builders? Because in places like Florida, we saw, you know, some interesting things happen in recent years where it was, uh, you know, the local fire department and all these different insurance institutes coming out and saying, no, we need to maintain these strong building codes. And the home builders saying, no, we'd like to roll these back. It makes homes too expensive for people to buy. Is that true? I mean, what kind of price increase are we talking about with stronger building codes? You you know, again, it's hard to generalize because there are different kinds of building uh, techniques across the country. But what I have seen is those additional elements that improve the quality of construction uh, that we see in the codes can have a price impact of two, three, maybe even five percent at the point of construction. I would tell you the payback on that over the life of a structure of 50 plus years uh, is well within the bounds of something that we should do. But what I'm also convinced of, and I, I, I appreciate this sensitivity to price. I think yeah. in too many places in America, it's not affordable uh, to own a home. And right. we need to be really, really cautious about pushing things that just drive up prices. I, I'm there. But there's this piece by which there's a cost to construct it, but then there's a cost to own it over the next 20 years. And that's the part where the payback on that code well, well pays back for the individuals in those instances. We've seen some things on codes that those increments pay back six to one for every additional increment of money you're putting in to meet that code element. Are you going to be paying not, less in insurance and stuff or anything? I mean, where does that money come yeah. from? So so insurance companies have all different ways that they deal with pricing. And so, I, I, again, I, there's no one way they deal with it. But I will tell you that I can see consistently from insurers, they price the risk. If you have less yeah. risk, it's reflected in your price. If you've got more risk, it's reflected in your price. But I I don't want to be too critical of the homeowners. Here's what I know about homeowners. and I've met many of them in communities across the United States. They respond to the market. When people make a demand in this system, the supply meets it. It's basic economics. And so this is the point by which there needs to be just enough understanding across consumers and Americans to push that button, to push that and says, I want a home that's going to withstand the kind of severe weather that we know happens in this community. 
And at the point that that happens, we see it. So we saw this in coastal Alabama. Coastal Alabama, by which now you know, we were describing the different levels of houses in terms of how you can do that. that, that top level, that fortified goal in the coastal communities of Alabama is the only way homes are constructed and, and sold huh. because that's what the market has demanded. How do we see that continue to play? Because the builders will meet the demand of the consumers. They always do. So where can I find my risk for the area I live in, the types of building code things I should be looking for and maybe retrofitting my house for looking for when buying a new home? Um, is there like a central place to find that information? I wouldn't know where to start. There is not one place to find out everything you need to know about your structure and the risks and what to do about it. I'll tell you one place kind of working our way from what you can do about it, walking back, what you can do about it. There is a website, disastersafety.org, uh, that you can log on to. And you can see each one of the risks. You can see the geographies across the country and the very specific actions that a homeowner can do. Hmm. Those resources are available. But I think you're hitting this opening issue about understanding your risk. And it differs based on the age of your house, where you live, and where you're situated. So I think you've got to make a demand of your realtor at the point by which you're out purchasing to ask these questions and understand it. Yeah. You've got a background in meteorology. I got to tell you, <laughs> the local TV meteorologists are some of the best and they talk about the impacts that are there. But mm -hmm. here's the key when you listen to them. You'll hear them talk about this wind risk or this wildfire risk, this flood risk. They're talking to you. All too often, people think they're talking about someone else's neighborhood. You know, the, the, the tornado warning wasn't in my neighborhood or it was a warning here, but you know, it touched down somewhere else or someone else had the hail. I didn't. No, you've got to take that and says, you know what, if they're talking about that inside this viewer area, it could happen to me. And begin to walk down that place so that you don't stumble because of your failure of imagination. The way that I like to characterize it a lot for people, because you do get those, you get you know, a lot of people that are really mad whenever they're, the impacts aren't as bad as they thought is, this will be the worst day of someone's life. Someone that is in this area that we are designating, this very well may be the worst day of their life. It might be you, it might not, but that doesn't mean it won't be you in the future. Uh, it couldn't be said better as far as I'm concerned. That's the, at the crux of it that says, you know, well, it didn't happen to me. Okay, so you weren't in the car accident but you were affected by all the bottleneck traffic that happened, which is to say that you did get home. You didn't have the catastrophe, but it did make an imprint on you. Mm. Um, and you want that kind of piece to play that you understand that that tornado did touch down somewhere. That storm surge did occur. And now you have prepared yourself in a way that you know what to do if you do happen to be in the crosshairs. Roy, thank you so much for joining us on Warming Signs. I think this is invaluable information. I really hope that the folks listening will try and engage in this conversation a little more online. I'll be available for, for questions if y'all want to tweet at me.
where can people find out more information about the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety? Yeah, if you're a consumer side of the equation, uh, disastersafety.org is the place to go. You'll see everything you need to uh, in that space. Everything on wind and wind-driven rain, how we do with hail, how we do with wildfire, all those elements um, are sitting there. Some of the best science uh, and some really fascinating videos uh, as you can watch us quite literally crash test homes and buildings. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of the Warming Signs family. I love hearing from you. So tweet at me at WeatherKate, whether you want to talk about this episode or another one, or perhaps you have an idea. I've been getting a lot of really good ideas from you guys. So I would love to hear from you. And if you would be so kind, subscribe to this podcast, because that way, new episodes that are released every other Tuesday during the summer will be right there waiting for you for that morning commute on Tuesdays. So thank you. And thank you to our production crew who helps get this out of my brain and into yours.